Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. We have our last Sunday of the year hangout picnic coming at the Melrose Common. So this is going to be more of a devotion than a sermon. I'm just trying to give you one big idea as we step out of this church year together. We have just lived through 15 of the craziest months we are ever going to live through. Now, we may see some other wild stuff in our time, but this was crazy. And I know many of you are winded and exhausted and so glad to kind of get to summer and then step into a new unfettered church year in September. What we wanted to do here was to say, we would love for you to be taking some time personally to be asking at the end of this pandemic, is my heart more alive to God or less? Am I lifting my hands higher in worship or not? Am I more in tune to my need for God's grace and the wonder of his mission through my church than I have ever been before? Or has this pandemic sucked the life out of my soul? We want you to be self-assessing. What has God accomplished in me in these months? And so all I'm going to do is kind of pastorally, autobiographically invite you into one of the ways that has looked like for me so that you might have an example of how you can do this for you. That's what I'm going to do. All right. For me, the pandemic had a very iconoclastic effect. Does anybody know what the word iconoclast means? Have you heard that before? I think it comes from Greek, and it's these two words jammed together. Image, smasher, or image, breaker. In the 7th and 8th century, there were these Byzantine Christians who got a hold of the second commandment. Do not employ images in your worship of God. And so they became iconoclasts. They went from church to church and started smashing and breaking all the idols, all the statues, all the images of Christ and said, we are not having this in our places of worship. They were iconoclasts. Over time, that word has taken a broader meaning to say it's anybody that comes in to smash any long-held traditions, any junky stuff that has built up over time that is robbing from the fame of Christ or the health of his people, iconoclasts. There is a sense in which God is an iconoclast. What we mean when we say that is, is that he comes into our lives and he smashes the idol's that have begun to grow. And he breaks down anything that is getting in the way of our joy and his rightful place in our life of grace and who he is 
God knocks us out, levels us, humbles us to break any of those things that are taking root in our lives. And he has used the suffering, the difficulty, the turbulence of this last year to do that in our church and 100% in my life. So the smashing of plans. I don't know if you can remember back to March of 2020. There was a different world back then. And this church was rocking. Everything that we had kind of given our lives to build and to see happen was beginning to take root in pronounced ways. Serious growth in the gospel and movement in relationships. It was great. We were also just about crossing the finish line of publishing this book that we had written to capture the story of our family of churches and who we were trying to become as a church. April 1st, 2020 was the published date on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. That was the day. And even better, we were going to have the best party of the year in this space, a book launch party. Heather and Patty and Sarah and I were working on this thing. It was going to be so much fun. We were going to sing. We were going to dance. There was going to be a DJ. We were going to have everybody who ever invested themselves in the mission of this church be invited. It was going to be L-I-T lit. Do you know what that means? That's what it was going to be. I had it all planned out. And then a couple of weeks later, I was going to Miami Beach, Florida with Brian Page, who's planting our church in Kennebunk because he was going to be on sabbatical. And we were just going to sit on this balcony and talk and pray, and read, and dream together. It was all set. The plans were all there. And then what happened in the middle of March 2020? The whole earth stopped, right? Just like that. And I was in absolute denial that all these grand plans that I had made for myself were not going to come true. I'm not sure if it was Patty, or Tim, or Matt, or... Justin or all of us, Sarah, Heather, whoever was like in the ecosphere of those plans. But I remember sitting in that room up there and saying these words. How many services do you think we're going to miss? Like two or three? That's where my head was at. Because my April plans could not get smashed. You feel it? There's a word for that presumption, thinking that this world is going to spin according to the dreams and hopes and plans that I have laid for me. None of that stuff happened. I haven't gone to Florida. There was no book launch party. The church has done really well through the pandemic, but we still feel like we're trying to get our bearings. God smashed all that stuff. Just one person, one life, it got smashed. Why would he do that? Because I and you have a tendency to think I am in control of this world and my life. I've got this. And I can enforce my will upon it and it will go my way. And in love for us, God will not allow it. 
One of the many verses that has come to mind for me in processing the pandemic is the one that I read to you. It is written by Pastor James to Christians like me. These words are specifically to this accomplished business merchant class who thought, well, because I am smart and because I hustle and because I work harder than the next guy, I will be able to enforce my will upon my life. He saw these folks in his church and like a good pastor in love for them, he spoke very directly to them to make sure that they understood that is not how this works. This is how he said it. He said to them, come now, you who say, the next verse, the next one, got it. These are the words we read before. Come on. Hey, stop it. That's the spirit of these first words. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and we will spend a year there and we will trade and we will make a profit. Okay, do you feel this? This class of people in this church we're going through life with this strut like this and they would talk to each other and they would say, here's what I'm doing, what are you doing? And we are making plans that will come to pass. You can't see it, but in the original language, these are all future tense words. Oh, we will go. Oh, we will go to that town. Oh, we will spend a year there. Oh, we will trade and we will make a profit. Do you feel the presumption and the pride and the arrogance in saying, we will, we will, we will, we will, nothing's gonna stop us? Do you feel the different self-wills? Today or tomorrow, like it's up to me. If I feel like it today, it'll be today. If I just wanna eat popcorn and watch the first seven episodes of the Marvel Universe, it'll be tomorrow, because I'm in charge of my meal, I'm in charge of my clicker, I'm in charge of my life. Do you feel it? We will go. I'm in charge of my movements. My body will do what I tell my body to do. Do you feel it? Into such and such a town. I am in charge of my location. I got my passport, look. I will go wherever I want to go. Do you feel it? We will trade. The marketplace will be open because I said it will. Trading partners will be available because I said that they will. And then the most presumptuous statement of all of them, do you feel it at the end of this? And we will make a profit. We're going to win the game. She's going to say yes. Our stock price is going to soar in the next six months. I got this. Who is there absolutely no reference to in this sentence? No reference to who? No reference to God. James, in love, points this out to them, and he says this to them. Next verse, he says, and yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Not just you don't control it, you don't even know what's gonna happen. You're talking like you're all powerful, 
and all-knowing, you, you, you don't even know 2 p.m. tomorrow what may be happening in the world. Did the pandemic prove this to everyone? Did it prove it to you? Do you know that the hotel told me you cannot come to our hotel with your friend Brian? We're not going to let you in. Do you know that Florida back then said to me, you cannot come into the state. Don't even land because you're just going to have to turn around and go back. Do you know that Massachusetts told me you cannot host a party in your space on April 6th. April 6th. You can't go where you want to go, do what you want to do. How many people felt that in the pandemic? James sums it up with these words, stops us in our tracks. He says, can you just stop for a second and ask yourself, what is your life? And then he gives an answer. For you are a mist that appears for a second and then you're gone. A couple weeks ago, I woke up real early and uh, I ran at like dawn and it was cloudy and I was like, oh, what a yucky day this is going to be. By the time I had run a mile and a half this way and then come back a mile and a half this way, the sun was over the hills and what happened to the day? It changed within the course of a run. That's how brief a human life is. You guys are mass people, right? You ever walk outside in February and on the way down to your car? And when you breathe, there is this burst of ice cold air as white as can be, and then it's gone. James is not saying that you don't have great dignity and value as an image bearer of God. He's not saying that your life does not have eternal import. Please tell me you are living a life right now that is headed toward the age to come. He's not denying that fact, but he's saying, who do you think you are? It's this awesome book by Anne Lamott. I don't know if you know who she is. Um, the name of the book is All New People. And under the book's theme is this idea that every hundred years, it's all new people. It's all new people. Nobody almost passes into the next hundred years. I'm not saying it's the greatest book ever written, but the idea is so helpful, right? I'm gone in less than 50. No one is going to remember who I am. I cannot even extend my life. Who do I think I am? James wants you to get a proper vision of yourself in light of the age to come and the God of the age to come. All right, so when you hear these words, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to despair? Are you supposed to throw yourself in front of a truck on the Linfels Parkway to just get it over with? Are you supposed to play scared in life? Oh man, I can't make any plans. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Why bother? No, 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 no. That is not what you're supposed to take from these words. What you're supposed to take is this, to recognize God as God, 
and begin to build your life in light of who he is. Here's how James says it to me, to you. He says, instead, you ought to say. In other words, here's how you should be thinking about your life. It should sound like this. Not, I'm going to do when I want to do, when I want to do, because it's me and I got this. James says, this is how you should speak and think and build your life. If the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this and we'll do that. If God wills, that's not just a silly religious church catchphrase. It's like a foundational pillar in how you view your life. God is God, not me. If it is in the heart of God and the plans of God for me, that's how this is going to roll. And notice that he jams before he even gets to where you're going to be, what are you going to do? Just the simple fact that you will be alive in the next 10 minutes is in the hands of God. Does everyone recognize that that breath that I just breathed is a gift from God who upholds every molecule in the universe? G.K. Chesterton, you should read this guy. He's hilarious and he's brilliant. And he said, it's not just that the sun is spinning, rotating, that causes us to experience a sunrise. He goes, that's true, but you know what else? God says to the sun every day, rise, rise. What he's getting at is, it's not just a mechanical thing that's happening. It is the will of God that the sun not explode right now. And the same is true for your life. Did the pandemic not teach you this? I remember in the first two months when I realized how serious this was, it was from speaking with nurses and doctors. And they were coming from their shift and they were saying, Matt, this is so horrible. These people can't even breathe, and we, we don't know how to help them. Do you feel this? In a minute, these people who thought, I can breathe? You kidding me? It's my lungs. Watch this. <sighs> Did you see it? In a minute, coronavirus, COVID-19, took away their ability to breathe freely, reminding all of us we can't make ourselves breathe. Even our breath is in the hands of God. And if that is true, how much more so is it true that it's if God wills, we will do this or we will do that? Now, this doesn't mean that every sentence you ever say has to now have a preface, right? So it was not sinful of me to not say, hey, if the Lord wills, we're going to have an awesome book launch party. If the Lord wills, I will be going to Miami with Brian for sabbatical. If the Lord wills, I'm going to go see Callie's dance recital this afternoon. You don't have to put that preface every time, but it has to be a reality of how you are building your life. My life is in God's hands. So see this sentence not just as a warning of your pride and your presumption. Don't ignore the reality and the grace of God, but see it as an invitation 
oh man, I got all these plans for my life, but I need to be sure that I've taken into account the sovereignty, the mission, the law, the grace of God. Because ultimately, all of this is in his hands. Have you heard or seen that silly bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot? Have you seen that? Or Jesus is my co-pilot? Okay, so that's a bad way of thinking about it, right? Like I got the wheel and then Jesus is giving me a couple of tips along the way. But the reverse is not exactly true either, that Jesus has the wheel and I'm just riding shotgun and along for the ride. The better analogy would be, hey, I am driving this one life that God has given to me and every single time I take a turn or hit the gas, I am reminded of my dependence upon and my being loved by God. And if he is in this, and if he wills it, and if he wants it, awesome stuff is going to happen, and some stuff is not going to happen, but whichever way it goes, God is in it for my good. So there is one sense in which, and I'm just being autobiographical so that she can go, what about me? I'm going to cry thinking we didn't have that book launch party. Ah, that was going to be such a great time together. In another sense, I have grown so thankful to God for iconoclasting those plans, for just wiping those out. We're going to have forever to celebrate God's work through this church, including the silly book. But much more importantly, it was God's reminder to me, your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. You don't even know what's coming tomorrow. How about you put your life in my hands and then good stuff will happen. So here's our question and devotion and we'll pray. At the end of this season, when you, I hope, have realized you have no control over tomorrow, not even your own body, how central is God and his gospel in the plans that you are making for your life? If Pastor James was here with us, would he look at the way you do your life and say to you, come now. You keep saying, I got this and I'm doing what I want and it's going to be awesome because it's me. Or would James say to you, I love the way that you have asked first, is God in this? Allow him to steer you in that direction. Don't miss the lesson, one of a million in the pandemic, that God is God and you are not and your life is in his hands and it's a good place to be.